millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Dumpty Dumpty This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality darky drama that are centred in Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. At the heart of Dumpty Dum is you, the listener, and your reaction to any of the storylines that go on in Ambridge. One of the things which I'm very proud of is the community of listeners that we've assembled over seven years and how the storylines that make it onto our radios actually how they have such an effect with the listeners and they have personal testimony obviously in the last year or previous to that really us listeners have known that alice has been an alcoholic at first we thought she was somebody who just had issues around drink and then we realized no it was much more than that she was actually abusing alcohol And definitely in the last 18 months, she has become a fully-fledged alcoholic. And what made her storyline even more tragic is because not only was she abusing alcohol and she lost her job, but she found herself pregnant. So she has a child now who is probably, though not definitely, going to be suffering from the effects of fetal alcohol syndrome. Kathy... What's your story with alcohol? Tell us about your relationship to alcohol before you had a problem. We were on extremely good terms. I liked to drink. I liked a good wine. I liked a cocktail. Didn't even keep booze in the house particularly, though. Certainly no spirits. Bring home a bottle of wine if there was a movie on or a bit of cricket or a game of something that I wanted to watch. And then came lockdown. 
And suddenly I had a bit more money because I wasn't going out at all, as nobody was. Let's go back a step. Let's go back a little bit of a step because I grew up in a household where my father, at the age of eight, would say, have a little sip of this, son, and it'd be Guinness. And I'd have a sip and I'd go, horrible. Right. Oh, man. And and I realized, I realized around about the age of 13 or so, that my parents, who were completely and utterly social drinkers, Mm. were teaching me to be able to accept and to handle alcohol as a teenager. Me having that little sip at the age of eight and going, oh, dad, that was terrible. Alcohol wasn't a hidden fruit in our household at all. Let's go back to teenage you, 20-year-old you, 30-year-old you, and give us your journey with alcohol through those ages. It's really interesting you say that about your dad and the Guinness, because that made me remember that my bampy, my grandpa, he used to brew beer, and at Christmas he'd do a barrel of small beer for the grandchildren. And that was kind of like 2.5% or something like that or, you know, even lower. But it was something that we were all allowed to have mixed with a ginger beer. And that was from a very young age. That was from probably about eight. But because it was mixed with ginger beer and he made it for us particularly to enjoy, we did. I'd completely forgotten about that. That's very strange. So, yeah, I mean, teenagers, nothing out of the ordinary. Bit of underage drinking. There was a bar in my hometown, The Sovereign which was the gathering point for the 16-year-olds who thought they were mature enough to drink. Yeah, no problems, no problems. Enjoyed it. A bit of fun, you know, if it was kind of a bank holiday weekend or Christmas or whatever, there'd be some booze in the house. My mum was partial to a Baileys. My dad used to take me to the pub when I was very young. but I'm one of three, and my mum said he could go to the pub in the evening as long as he took one of us with him. So it would be a summertime thing. And that's where I learned to kind of enjoy reading and having a pint at the same time. I didn't have a pint at that stage, but it's a habit I've fully embraced. My favourite kind of couple of hours is reading my paper with a decent drink in a pub. Really, and I'm going to miss that. But teenage, fine. A couple of, you know, overindulgences, nothing nothing horrible. I was quite a jock in school and stuff and didn't want that to be interfered with. 20s? I can't really remember my 20s. It was just, do you remember just the, dull, really. Do you remember the first time you actually got drunk? Yes. Tell us about that. Yes. I was about 11. <laughs> it was Christmas and my mum worked in a pub and the landlord and landlady were great friends of my parents and they came down with their three children and we stole. They all got hammered but we nicked a couple of bottles of probably wine. I don't think it would have been spirits. I don't think any of us would have liked that, but probably some wine, maybe some Baileys, because you can tolerate that, I think, when you're a kid. And we all got absolutely hammered, (laughs) hammered. And it was horrible. The next day was awful. And I thought, I'm not doing that again. That was bloody horrible. But yeah, I did. (laughs) When did you do it next again? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. It's only really been an issue this year, so I can't kind of remember. I mean, I went to uni quite late. I went to uni as a mature student and kind of lived the student lifestyle then rather than a mature student's lifestyle. So, yeah, overindulged a bit in uni, 
but stopped the same as when I've smoked in the past. It's just, oh, stop that. That's, I don't like this anymore. And then just a complete social drinker. Enjoyed it. Really, really like it. I mean, I like, I like an old fashioned. I like a blood and sand. I like classic cocktails. But as I've thought about my drinking over the last 14 weeks in particular, I've always tended to like the very strong drinks. So the cocktails I have would be whiskey based or martinis with very little vermouth in them. The wines tend to be the heavier wines with a lot of alcohol in them. And I guess that was maybe building up to something. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I like the strong stuff. That for me is what's interesting because you're what 50 now 52 52 52 so your descent into alcoholism has come quite relatively late in life i would have thought the more classical journey with alcohol abuse would be it started with teenage years or maybe a marriage breakup, a relationship breakup, or maybe, mm. you know, some kind of financial trouble or something. But generally, somebody to realize they have a problem with alcohol in their 50s, that to me sounds atypical. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I've been told. I use a counselling service down here and they, they've said, you're very different to the type of people we normally get coming in for our services. Yeah, the age is, is certainly a thing. But they've seen a lot of it during the last year. My GP has told me that and the staff, I was in hospital over Christmas, which you know about, the listeners won't. Yeah, we're seeing a, a lot of alcohol abuse in, in older people. You know, it, it's not always the guy in the doorstep with a brown paper bag. That's just not the case anymore. So, yeah, I guess I am atypical. I'm not suffering massively with not drinking. I'm not getting withdrawals and stuff like that. I mean, it'll happen at some point, I'm sure, but it's been a, I hate to say it, but it's been all right so far. I haven't, I've been, I've missed it on occasion, but haven't craved any. Considering, you know, listening to other people's stories, certainly I've, I've just had a walk in the park with it, which is lucky, but yeah, I would say I'm atypical. But a walk in the park where you basically had cirrhosis of the liver. Yeah. Oh, well, no, it didn't go to full cirrhosis. There's, there's liver damage, but it's not beyond repair. Another couple of months of it, and it, it would have been not good. <laughs> it would have been cirrhosis. I was very, very lucky to check in when I did, really. I started doing the classic alcoholic things. I, I was uh, So I get my uh, Acardo delivery, and it would be 90% booze, and I knew it was wrong. And listening to the archers, of course, I was aware of this storyline and kind of trying to zone it out a little bit but I was I was deceiving people I was kind of hiding stuff I'd get a different friend every time to bring my Ocado delivery up because I'm up in an attic flat and my legs had started to become a very big concern at that stage and I would get somebody different so nobody knew how much I was drinking nobody could say oh, oh Christ you know if, if somebody had done it twice in a row they would have said gee, Kath, that's a lot of booze you've got through in the last two weeks. So, yeah, I was fooling myself more than anyone else, but I was certainly being deceptive. So let's take us back to the start of the pandemic, because that's where your descent started, wasn't it? Um, mm -hmm. So it's March 2020. Where are you living? What are you doing for work? Set the scene for us then. 
Okay, so I'm not working at the moment. I had a breakdown a couple of years ago and, and working is quite difficult. I volunteer occasionally, but I'm not working. I live on my own. I'm up four flights of stairs. So there's a little, it's a pain in the ass, basically, just getting up and down. So the first bit of lockdown, like a lot of people, I think it was it was a lark. It was, you know, oh, banana bread, oh, home haircuts, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was fine. You know, I'm not shy about phoning people. I, I like my own company. And I've got Disney Channel and your Amazon Prime and all of all of the streaming stuff. I've got about a thousand books here. So I was fine, really. I'm not shy. If I do feel lonely or want to chat to people, I phone them. I don't kind of keep it all in. And it was it was fine. It was okay. I've worked, you know, I've I've done cocktail parties for people. I know my way around booze. And I did a session with some friends on Zoom where you've got the, the class and you can uh, make it own, you know, and I bought all the stuff in to do it. And it was like, oh, that's really, really nice. And then the next night without Zoom, I did it again. And then the next night I did it again. And then it started to be, oh, I haven't got any wine. I haven't got this. I better order some. And there's boredom as well. You know, you wake up at two in the morning and think, well, I haven't got to get up. And if I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't go back to sleep. So I'd, I'd get up, I'd watch a movie and I'd think, yeah, well, I haven't got to get up. I'm not doing anything tomorrow. Why not have a glass of wine? And of course, that's extraordinary, <laughs> weird behaviour to drink wine at 2am. But the world had stopped to a degree. And my little flat, it, it's like a cabin on a, on a cruiser. There's a kind of disconnect a little bit with the outside world. And it was like, well, you know, I could, you know, this is only during lockdown. I won't, I won't be doing this after lockdown. But it became, started drinking earlier in the day. Yeah, an addiction had, had flowered at that point, I think. in And again, deceptive behaviour come June or July. You know, when there's very hot days we get in the summer, the four of them went to a friend's garden and we all socially distanced and stuff and if somebody's hosting I like to bring gifts so I brought up a lot of booze and food for the barbecue and stuff like that you know people are like, oh you haven't eaten very much and it's like oh no I had a big breakfast I, I just you know I wasn't interested in food which is unusual for me <laughs> and it was like, oh, and I was buying booze, a lot of booze, so other people would get tipsy, so they wouldn't notice how much I was drinking. It was that deceptive. What were you having first thing in the morning? What wine. exactly were you drinking? And how many units uh, of wine? Oh, got a bottle. I'd get through two bottles a day. And over two days, I would get through a litre of vodka. This is how I used to plan my shopping. Over two days, I would get through a litre of vodka and four bottles of wine easily possibly and sometimes more i wasn't getting drunk i wasn't getting a hangover these you know all the flags were there for me but you get a little little voice in your head the addiction and it, it says everything's fine you look at things you look at tv you look at movies you look at social media you look at you listen to the radio and people have a drink and it's it's a very normal thing to do and it's a very lovely thing to do 99% of people obviously enjoy it and it doesn't become a problem but it's everywhere when you kind of think about it I mean I've really noticed it the last 14 weeks but yeah so June July it really really became a problem and I was just addicted by then so August and 
up to December, was drinking just excessive amounts and got hospitalised in the December. I couldn't walk at that point. I mean, I I don't usually trust Dr. Google, but every symptom I had, because I was suffering physically, the top of my legs were numb. I couldn't walk, basically, because of them. But it's an attic flat, so it's it's quite compact and there are a lot of beams around. That was useful because I could get around the flat, but anything else, a friend of mine, a very non-confrontational friend of mine, he did my Ocado delivery and I said, please, take take the vodka, take the vodka. I can't do it anymore. And he was like, you look like shit. You look grey. You can't walk. I'm not leaving till you phone an ambulance. You need to be in hospital. And... He probably probably saved my life, if that's not too much, because it came from him. I really listened to it. He's a lovely guy and, you know, we don't have an abusive friendship, but he'll do what I tell him to. If I need anything, he'll, he'll come over. And for him to say that was just extraordinary. So, yeah, I, I called an ambulance. I said I can't walk. They had to carry me out. It was humiliating. I was very lucky went into hospital, didn't wait too long in the car park as people were at that stage with COVID. I felt very guilty about going in when COVID was going on, but nonetheless, that's that's where I was. I was in a new hospital and luckily I had excellent care from the get-go. At what point when you said your legs were starting not to work, Mm. did you think, well, what did you even think? Was it a case of, I'm just getting older, you know, it's four flights of steps, etc. What were you telling yourself when your body was shutting down? Yeah, exactly those things. I'd look at symptoms online and, oh, that, well, that could be so-and-so. And also I'd had a, a really, not to be indelicate, but I had a really bad 10 days of kind of stomach bug I thought it was. So it was like really bad vomiting and diarrhea and stuff. I felt very, very weak when, when I recovered. And I just I put it down to that for a long time. And I was thinking, oh, please let it be that. Please let it be that. But deep down, I knew it, it wasn't. I knew it was a problem. <laughs> oh, I'm getting a bit tearful. And what was the storyline at the Archers at that point? Were you not seeing any kind of parallels at all? With oh, I was, line. yeah. Deep down, I was. I'm a Sunday listener. I mute it during the week, which is why I hate spoilers. So I would listen and I'd join the tweet along and people were making jokes. You know, it's a jokey, jokey hour on Twitter with, with it. people very funny, very sharp with their comments and people taking the mick out of Alice and the storyline, which is, you know, fine. I was as well, but it kind of, I was thinking oh well I'm not that bad oh well, I'm not that bad then came the monologues and I thought nobody talks themselves like this my story is different you know she's pregnant obviously she was pregnant I'm single so I didn't have a Chris in my life I'd be more likely to have a Christine in my life but the story was different but at the core of it we were both in denial and you know listening back now to some of the episodes is painful because I, I remember what I was thinking at that time and kind of telling myself, well, this isn't you, this isn't you, <laughs> when I'm sat there unable to walk. Do you think if you'd had a partner that, you know, they would have drawn a halt to your drinking sooner? Or do you think that it's also because you didn't have a partner, this is a way of filling 
in the gap which we a lot of us felt at the start of COVID. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. No, I mean, I don't miss, I like being single. I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't miss having a partner. I don't particularly want a partner. At this moment in time, you know, I have a nice circle of friends and family since I've moved back to my hometown. People I trust. I'm still in touch with a, a lot of people in London. And yeah, I don't I don't think there was a gap particularly. I sounded a bit Welsh then, didn't I? Um, I think it was boredom played a part and no consequences. And that's probably the no partner thing. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody, I mean, if I was living with somebody, they would have, they would have seen it. You can't hide from somebody you're living with what, during a, a lockdown. Whether I would have appreciated hearing it is a different story. I don't like being told what to do, so I probably would have put up some barriers. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think I probably would have done something about it a bit earlier. In the middle of lockdown, just run it through me again exactly how much you were drinking, how many units you, you were consuming. I think most alcoholics will tell you they don't know the units because if you don't know the units, you don't know you're doing wrong. I have no idea the number of units. It was, I know it was in excess of what's recommended for a man um, or a woman or probably 10 men or women. But you don't know, you, you know, you, you don't let yourself know. That was my story anyway. I mean, other people will be different. But I've heard from my counsellor that a lot of alcoholics don't do the math. Don't do the math. So your friend says to you that you look like shit. You look terrible. You know that this isn't just a stomach bug. Um, yeah. They say that you are grey. Yeah. What What were you thinking? What did you say to the ambulance people, to the emergency services when, when they picked you up? I said I couldn't walk. I said I've had this bout of diarrhea, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and I can't walk, and I really need to be in hospital. And of course, they'll, you know, there's <laughs> what's the problem? And it's medical people, so you feel a little safer 
being honest. And I just said, I, I have a problem with alcohol. If I don't get into hospital soon, I think I'm going to die. And I had started phoning people, people I used to work with years ago and stuff, and a few close friends. And I said, I don't think I'm going to see, see the new year. And I got my affairs in order, that kind of thing. So, and, you know, people were astonished. That, that was one of the, um, that stood out for me, that close friends down here and close friends from years ago, they were all absolutely astonished. Uh, they, they'd never seen me. They'd seen, you know, tipsy and, and merry a few times and stuff, never outright drunk. And they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe I was going into a hospital and I might die because of alcohol. I couldn't believe it. But there it was. There I was lying on a hospital bed. Again, lucky, straight in, 40 minutes before I was in a bed. The new hospital has uh, its own. They're all kind of single rooms. And I saw the liver specialist the first thing the next morning. So, yeah, good old NHS. And the liver specialist was quite extraordinary. He was, he was very charismatic, very alpha male. And he said, do you have something to say to me? I said, we've only just met. <laughs> and he said, you need to tell me something. You need to say it out loud. And I kind of got the message and I said, I'm an alcoholic. And he said, right, we can work with that. And that, I found that extraordinary. They'd taken my blood. I couldn't, I couldn't lie about how much I was drinking. I mean, you can get away with it maybe with a GP or something, but if they've taken your blood, you can't. And he was fantastic. And they kept me there for a week to see if I had physical withdrawal symptoms, which I, which I didn't. Didn't have the DTs and stuff like that. So, again, atypical, I think. And there wasn't any counselling at that stage. It was more, let's get you well, well enough to go to a different ward. And that's what happened. I got transferred to a different hospital and then caught COVID, which is a completely different story. Yeah, the hospital were great. And I went through, I mean, the, the side effects, the physical side effects are gruesome. And as I said, before I totally banjacks my body. I'm not going to walk without a stick ever again. Uh, and you know, this is all my fault. I, I take that. You know, for those that like to uh, apportion blame with alcoholism, I'll live with the consequences. And so I should. You know, that's I, I've got no problem with that. I'm going to be on tablets for a long. I mean, I take eleven tablets in the morning. I feel it's like by the time I've got my tablets ready. And then my exercises, it's time for another round of <laughs> tablets. It's like my morning is completely set aside. How much of your liver did you damage? Do you know? Um, it was significant damage is, is the phrase they used. I didn't want to know any more than that. I didn't know what percentages and stuff like that. A friend of mine whose father was an alcoholic, and he was like, the liver's very, very forgiving. And I was like, I've got a lot of, <laughs> a lot of making up to do. But it's very, very damaged. I can't drink again, basically. Yeah, can't go near it. And when you were in the hospital, mm -hmm. were you able just to be very open and honest with, with friends and family and say, I've got a problem with alcohol, that's the reason why I'm here? Or was there some level of you still trying to come to terms with, with everything? I knew when I was telling people that I was going into hospital and I was open then, 
and um, then of course you're you're in a one people oh, what you're in for, <laughs> and you say liver damage, and some people kind of tut, some people are a bit, most people are more enlightened about addiction I think nowadays, but um, yeah, I was being open, I was telling us I was, must have been the most boring person in the world because I was telling everybody, um, and it was around Christmas and stuff, and it's like oh man, that's a bummer, Kath. <laughs> You're bringing me down. So, yeah, but it was the best place to be for Christmas and New Year. It was a reality check. It was a a kick up the ass, but I was completely open, completely open. And how long were you in hospital for in total? In total, it was about six weeks because because I got COVID or the Rona, as we call it down here. I was in for another three weeks. Again, my luck, completely asymptomatic. Saw a couple of people die. Uh, it was it was not nice. But I, you know, because of the extra three weeks, I got a lot more physio than I would have, which helped a lot because I was able to manage the stairs when I was released. I can't carry anything, <laughs> but I can manage the stairs. So I can get out when we're allowed out. I mean, I would have missed a lot. Chris- Christmas would have been weird anyway. But, yeah, I was in in the hospital for for about six weeks two hospitals between the two Mm -hmm. so apart from the tablets describe the psychological treatment um, that you've had to do because if i know anything about alcoholism is that you always are an alcoholic aren't you and oh yeah constantly you're having to you know fight those cravings those urges there's a line from the great uh, the great sue ellen in dallas uh, for those that remember it and i've stolen it from her completely but it's um i'll die an alcoholic but i will not die a drunk i've had counseling over the phone but it's very it's, it's quite a threadbare service nowadays i, I have to be honest um it, it's helpful but it's threadbare I've had to do a lot of the psychological stuff myself, really, and people, uh, friends talking about it. A lot of my family work in care, so they have some knowledge about um, medicines and, and effects and stuff like that. So that that's quite useful. But a lot of it I've had to do on my own. And it's just it's just making a choice now. I mean, I'm lucky that the choices are still mine to make. That's the way I look at it. I've had two massive escapes and i you know the universe clearly has plans for me i'm going to obviously be the uh, first 200 year old person or something <laughs> but i've had to do a lot of that myself i do the checks and balances when i thought about a drink i thought back to in hospital when i was completely incontinent i'm thinking of the horrible things but i'm also thinking of the positive things I, i'll see my nieces grow up two are yet to graduate and i'll i'll see that and i you know i and walking <laughs> if i start drinking i won't be able to walk and uh, i don't want that yeah it's kind of playing off benefits and and uh non-benefits that's how i've dealt with it as i say every, everyone's different but it's not been too bad i've not had to phone anybody for help occasionally on my ocado i'll still add a bottle of wine and then about an hour later i'll take it out just for the fun of it (laughs) but yeah i mean there's going to be difficulty you know lockdown is probably easier 
to um to detox and 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 come off it with but uh, and there'll be challenges in the future with going out with friends and stuff but they're parts of normal life and that's what i want to get back into and i will have to deal with those challenges do you think that if we haven't have had the pandemic that you would have maybe sailed through life and not known that you had potentially this addiction towards alcohol yeah probably probably um i mean i'm sure i'm sure you know the, the drinks that i like build up over time i guess so i probably in the future i but you know i'm 52 now um kind of 50 when all this started 51 when all this started so i don't know that whether the potential would have been released by anything else but i've got this far i got that far without it blossoming into anything else but i i think the pandemic certainly just a massive contributor to my state of mind and to my behaviours. I think I got addicted really quite easily, strangely, after being a social drinker for years and stuff. As soon as I upped the intake, it really grabbed me, really grabbed me. So, yeah, yeah, your original question. Yes, the pandemic uh, played a massive part. Do you do do anything else to excess? You know, hopefully, and and if you answer yes, hopefully you're going to say something like, uh, I played tiddlywinks to excess, which isn't going to (laughs) be, you know, detrimental to to your health. But do you have an addictive personality, do you think? uh, I tend to, um, I get into something, I get really deep into something, and then it bores me after five minutes. Oh, I was going to say the archers, but then you said bored. No, no, that's obviously not the archers then. No, no, that's 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 on my father's knee since I was about four, I think. But um, not really. I, I'll get very enthusiastic about something and then get bored with it. And that can be, you know, a food. It can be a, a band. It can be a TV show. Park, I think the only thing Parks I'm really Rec, addicted to, maybe Parks and Rec, certainly addicted to that. The American Office, addicted to that, and the Archers. But when I really got back into the Archers, I was very 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 into it because you go through phases in life where you don't listen to it as much when i restarted it probably about eight years ago my partner at the time actually said you you're fucking boring about this please please shut up and she was she was quite right i was talking about it every day well we can always talk about the archers i mean i'm i'm very into coconut water at the moment that's my kind of substitute drink but I don't think it's an addiction. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad about that because it's almost as expensive as booze. You know what? You, you're not wrong. It's not cheap stuff at all. It's not. not it's so nice. There is so nothing nice. nicer than when you are um, somewhere tropical, which has real life coconuts and they oh. take one down from the tree for you and chop it in half and you drink that, that coconut water. And also what they call the coconut jelly, you know, so it's oh, not yeah. all dry. Oh, that stuff is amazing. Oh, it's man. utterly amazing. What What do you think you've learned about yourself in in the positive, not in the negative, in the positive through this whole oh, experience? Po- I'm very much concentrating on the positive. I've learned that I can I can endure stuff. I really can endure horrible stuff. I'm quite resilient. I'm lucky. <laughs> Definitely lucky, definitely uh, got uh, a beam of light over me. Having to walk with a walking stick for the rest of your life means you're lucky. Well, it means I'm alive. I, you know, I'm, that's a small price to pay. 
and it means I, you know, can always hit people <laughs> if they're in my way, and I'll get a seat on the bus. I hope. I have a, a friend who's um, she's Sri Lankan, and she was she was saying to me she misses the old days when people would get up so they didn't have to sit next to her on the bus. She doesn't like it anymore because people are much more accepting. She said, in the old days, I'd always get a seat. But, yeah, I, walking with a stick is all right. I'm looking into getting a custom custom one made. I've got the NHS one at the moment. But, yeah, you know, that's part of who I am now. So it's not going away. But, I'm, you know, I'm getting I'm walking better every day. I can get around the flats without the stick pretty much. Outside is it, you know, when you get to curbs and stuff, that's that's a different proposition. But um, yeah, it's all right, it's a talking point. <laughs> Why do you want me to stick? Because I'm an alcoholic. It might get boring after a while. But um, yeah, you know, walking with a stick isn't a big deal. People are, you know, there's people in a much worse position, much worse position than me. If there are any other dumdy dummers, or fans of the archers who are maybe you know abusing alcohol and they'd like to get in contact with you how can they do that via twitter well my dms are open and i'm outing myself here i am griselda strange on twitter i tweet on a on a during the omnibus and i do have to say thank you to a couple of archer arties gay graybell and kerry dear kerry warbis i've spoken to privately on twitter and they've been really really supportive and super supportive nice people thank you oh no no thank you you'll be able to help a lot of people a lot of people indeed kathy thank you for coming on to dumpty dum and being candid and sharing with us some of the ills that excessive drinking can do to you okay thank you for the opportunity roy phil Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.